Hey, this is Scott Ardella, author of The Edge of Strength, now available on Amazon, and you're listening to the Ardella Training Podcast, the strength and performance podcast for the serious fitness enthusiast. Now, let's get started with this week's show. Hey guys, if you're a coffee aficionado like me, I've got a great tasting high performance coffee recommendation. As a matter of fact, I just ordered my new batch prior to recording this. This is seriously one of the best coffee brews I've ever had, and once you try it, you're guaranteed to love it. That coffee is the Renegade Roast. It's a clean coffee bean, pesticide and chemical free, tastes exceptionally great. It's a high performance coffee endorsed by Men's Health, Muscle and Fitness, and many more fitness brands and professionals. And the coffee has a partnership with generosity.org, so you're providing clean drinking water to those in need, which is fantastic. My preferred blend, which tastes awesome, is the light roast. You can go to renegaderoastingco.com forward slash Scott, and you can save 25% on your first order and have it delivered to your door right now. I guarantee you'll love this coffee, and if you don't, they'll give you your money back. Better brew, better you. Again, go to renegaderoastingco.com forward slash Scott. Check it out, guys. All right, guys. What's up? Welcome to episode number 173. This week, my guest is Dr. Eric Goodman. He is the creator of Foundation Training. And guys, this is such an awesome interview. I know you're going to love this one and get a lot of value out of this session. I know that I really enjoyed it. So uh, we're going to get right into the interview here. A couple of quick things I did want to let you know about. Actually, as I'm recording this right now, it is a fantastic, sunny day here in South Florida. I don't know what made me say this, but I'm just sitting here. I'm in my office right now. Crystal clear blue skies. It's one of those days where you just feel great to be alive. And I'm fortunate that I was out a lot this weekend, got to get out there and enjoy things. But right now I'm sitting behind my desk here and uh, recording this session for you. So we're going to get right to it. And I did want to let you know about what is going on this week. This week, we have the Global Performance Summit. Now, this is something that we talked about last week with my guest, Dr. Zach Long. And if you'd like to hear more about that, definitely check out episode number 172, or you can go to the show notes for this episode, and I'll have all the information and links for the Global Performance Summit. And I'm very honored and uh, happy to be part of this, and uh, I think you're going to see the great lineup of fitness professionals that are taking part in this online event. Also, as always, if you like the Ardella Training Podcast, please be sure to drop in your review in iTunes. Guys, it really helps the show to be found and discovered by others in the iTunes library. So if you like the show, please be sure to drop in your review. Next, I wanted to thank one of the listeners of the Ardella Training Podcast, and that is Dustin Gardner. Thank you, Dustin, for making me aware of the work of Dr. Eric Goodman and all the great things that are going on through foundation training. It was through Dustin that I started to research Dr. Goodman, and I absolutely knew that he would be a great fit for this show. And this is basically how this interview came to be. And what's funny is Dustin had mentioned this to me, that that I should have Dr. Goodman on the show. And then I got a couple of other recommendations suggesting Dr. Goodman and the work of foundation training. So thank you so much, guys, for making me aware of uh, great people out there. And as I always say, I'm very welcome to your suggestions for guests here on the Ardella Training Podcast. So uh, thank you, Dustin, so much. All right, let me tell you about Dr. Eric Goodman, and then we're going to get into the interview session. As a creator of Foundation Training, Eric combined his experience as a strength coach, personal trainer, and chiropractor to create a simple strengthening program that facilitates the body's natural healing ability and quickly improves degenerative movement patterns. The results have been incredible, as you're going to hear about in this interview. Dr. Goodman leads the Foundation Trainer Instructor Certification Program and is the team's visionary force. His curiosity for anatomy, movement, and healing has led Foundation Training's evolution. Eric graduated with a bachelor's in health sciences and physiology and earned his doctorate of chiropractic. He is the author of the upcoming book, True to Form, how to use foundation training for sustained pain relief and everyday fitness. Now be sure to listen through to this interview and you're going to hear about the surprising story about where Dr. Goodman and I used to work out. This is really amazing. And I was totally blown away 
by what he said during the interview. And you're going to hear this uh, story and kind of connection that we had in this interview session. So let's do it, guys. Let's get into this week's interview. And uh, I hope that you enjoy the interview with Dr. Goodman. Let's do it. Dr. Eric Goodman of Foundation Training joins the show today. First, Dr. Goodman, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited about this interview. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for helping me share my work. Absolutely. Now, you have a background as a strength coach, personal trainer, chiropractor, and I thought it would be great if you could share your story and your unique background and uh, tell the audience about yourself and how things have evolved to where you are today. Sure. Well, I've got a background as a strength coach, a uh, personal trainer, and a chiropractor. Think that about? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've loved this stuff my whole life. I've, yeah. I've really just loved what you can do with the body for the body my whole life. And it started when I was about 15. I really interested in training, going to the gym, working out, doing all that stuff. And that just translated very quickly over you know a decade and a half to a degree in chiropractic, a nice athletic background in ice hockey and water polo and a few different sports like that. And I try to stay as active as I can. And, and my education always reflected the desire to stay active. Everything was always about how to make the body stronger, how to make it work better. And chiropractic uh, is just one of the best fields to go into if you're interested in biomechanics. So that was kind of a no-brainer for me at the time. And I got out of chiropractic school in 2008, and now it's 2016, and I've been trying to figure out one simple process, the hip hinge, for the, since, since then, really? since 2008. Okay. <laughs> the focus of my work has really become this central pulley system of the body at the hip joints and this incredible web that it controls and participates in. And if I can think about one thing that I did in the past eight years, between 2008 and 2016, it's really significantly consider what the hip joints are meant to do. And it's become the basis of my entire career and my own pain, uh, which is now quite well remedied. And, you know, that's, that's basically what I document in my books and in my videos is what I learn from my own body, from my own workouts, from my own injuries. And then I deliver that in as simple a way as, as I can to the public. And that's foundation training. That's, that's who I am and what I do. Let me ask you about your injuries because I, from some of the reading that I've done from your your work, you talk about your back injury or, or your back situation. So tell us how did that happen? How did your injuries occur? Mm -hmm. you know, how did you deal with that? And how did you, let's take a step back and just talk about how you, how they occurred and how you dealt with your injuries. Okay. The occurrence was, was more of a slow and steady degeneration, which I think is very similar to what a lot of people go through. I started as an athlete and, I, and, you know, as a lot of athletes, I was 14 or 15 years old and I started working out pretty significantly in a gym. I can remember it. I went to World Gym in Plantation, Florida, where I grew up. And I went every day, you know, for years and I would squat increasingly heavy weights and I would lift and do bicep curls with increasingly heavy weights. And even, you know, there's this one exercise that I can almost point to as probably doing the most damage to my body, which was heavy seated overhead shoulder presses. Okay. By the time I was in college at 21, 22 years old, I was doing those with some pretty heavy dumbbells, you know, not recognizing that my lower back was accidentally learning to absorb its own weight and the weight of the dumbbells on top of it at that same time. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of have this pattern that starts to build after a while in which the lower back flexes and flexes and flexes and starts to become actually more mobile than the hip joints below it. And I think I was a good example of that. And the degeneration after probably five to 10 years of pretty heavy weightlifting, taking that into a chiropractic school where I would sit eight to 10 hours a day on top of that same poorly loaded spine that had become good now at, at absorbing its own weight. You know, my spine really learned how to take the weight of my whole torso straight into the discs of my lower back as well as it could. And, uh, you know, the body becomes very efficient at what it practices most often. So my injury was a very, or is a very simple reflection of at that time, what my practice, what my body practiced most often, which was heavy weights on top of an unfortunately inappropriate portion of my body, which was my spine instead of my hip joint. And my injuries required uh, fusion surgery, according to a couple doctors, a couple MDs in uh, Huntington Beach. While I was in chiropractic school, it, it got so bad, I was like, I, I don't know what to do. I was in back pain all the time. I couldn't sit comfortably or stand or sleep. You know, you, you see this 
really vicious cycle of symptoms of all sorts of symptoms of the whole body that come from the lack of sleep and frustration and pain of chronic pain. And I got to experience that for several years. And I really started to consider the fusion surgery, but I don't know, something in me as a chiropractor at heart. And I, I love that profession. I love the idea that if you give the body the opportunity to heal, it will heal at least really relatively well. And uh, I'm glad I didn't get the surgery and, and my injuries are still there, but like you can protect your spine really well, as it turns out with the muscles and, and joints that surround it. You know, they were going to, they were going to fuse my lower back at like 27 years old. Right. Insane. That is Insane, crazy. Scott. Yeah. Yeah. can't do that. Let me go back here and not to derail. I actually have a great follow-up question, but you mentioned the world gym in plantation, Florida. Is that, the, <laughs> is that the world gym on Broward Boulevard? Yes, All right. So, is. so you and I went to the same gym. I moved down to serious? Florida in, in 2007. Yeah. That's where I started training when I came down wow. here in Florida. Yeah. Seriously. Did you by any chance know a woman named Eileen Posgay down there? I don't know if she worked there by then or uh, not. She's one of my first certified instructors. It's not, uh, not yeah. Really. I grew up down the street. I grew up in uh, in plantation. I lived there my whole life that's, until I went to college. That's amazing. Yeah. I moved to Florida <laughs> in 2007 and I was in the plantation area and I, that was where I went for a few years was the world gym in plantation on Broward Boulevard. So <laughs> that's pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> I love those little coincidences. When those start to happen, they start to happen a lot. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Well, the other big thing that we have in common is that I have a or had a major back injury several years ago. I had a, a disc herniation that did require surgery, unfortunately. Long story, but it was really a big part of that was my own fault for trying to train through the injury, mm -hmm. being a young bodybuilder. But where I am today is very healthy and strong in terms of my back health. And that was my question for you is where are you today in terms of your spine and your, your back health? I'm somewhere that I never should have been. And I, uh, and sometimes I wonder how I got here. And sometimes I can't sleep at night because I'm so excited about the simple fact that I can do what I'm going to do the next day, which is go surfing. Sometimes even in like some kind of bigger waves than I thought I'd ever be able to surf and I can get hounded. I can hit the bottom. I can do twists and all kinds of things that I shouldn't be able to do. And it's, it's this constant reflection of where my spine is now. And it's protected by the rest of my body. And granted, I put a serious amount of effort into that every day. Sure. Uh, I have to keep making my back stay healthy. It's, it's a daily effort and it will probably be that way for the rest of my life. And I have no idea whether or not I will require surgery, fusion surgery. Who knows? I, they might have to give me the first ever spine transplant for all I know, <laughs> but what I know is that right now at 35 years old, my back feels like crazy good. It, it, feel, it doesn't feel good. It feels like it, it doesn't feel. It right. just works. I don't notice it. Every now and then my right hip gets sore, especially if I've been surfing a lot or, or hiking or running a lot. And that reminds me that I've got an injury. It reminds me that I still have movement patterns that need to be adjusted and, and worked through and sort of re-educated. But man, the difference between a 27-year-old version of myself and a 35 year old version of myself is, is really something I never could have fathomed. You know, I, maybe I don't, I'm not like the, the guy with the six pack or any of that. I don't think I ever will be, but I'm strong and I'm healthy and I'm happy and I can do more or less whatever I want to do. And, uh, I, I attribute that largely to foundation training and the simple ability to create sensitivity to where you're moving wrong and simply manage that. And the management of poor movement patterns, like it gives you a, a new lease on life for a guy like you or a guy like me. And it's, it's the best thing you can give yourself. So yeah. yeah, my back's really healthy right now. Okay. So, all right. So let's start with the big question here then, or the next big question, which is what is foundation training? How do you, how do you define it? I bet it's great. I've done this so many times and I still can't figure it out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what it is, the simple version is it's, it's posterior chain muscle recruitment. First, eccentrically, from a shortened position, a contracted position, a tightened position of the muscle to relearn how to resist load. So it goes from a shortened to a lengthened position under tension. And after a little while, those muscles, particularly in this case, the posterior chain, eventually most muscles in the body, they start to relearn what I call an effective length of contraction. You know, muscles can be either too long or too short. They can be twisted from point A to point B and just kind of out of position. So when you get those muscles into the right position, they learn to be there. They, they learn to contract from the right place. And there's this really wild neurological patterning that seems to occur. And it doesn't just occur occasionally. It seems to occur most of the time with people that practice this work of posterior chain muscle recruitment. 
because eventually those posterior chain muscles start to really support the spine and they start to allow the freedom of the hip joints to move in its really large grand range of motion with the spine being protected. So that is sort of the end goal of foundation training, really powerful, full range of motion in the hips and a stable, strong, long, expansive spinal column and axial skeleton. We have 20 exercises that teach two principles, decompression breathing and pelvic anchoring. Each of those poses is mostly isometric until you get a little better at it, in which we add a little bit of dynamic movement. Again, eccentrically and concentrically, repetitively, uh, kind of lengthening and strengthening the posterior chain to such a fashion that it's mostly as strong as it should be at the beginning and at the end of uh, its capable ranges of motion. It's wild how strong those muscles become. They're built for endurance. They're built to really manage our walking and running throughout the entire day. And most people just sit on them. And uh, this is a good way to remedy that. I guess in, in simple terms, is it more motor control, awareness, posture, strengthening, movement principles? How do you really describe it or label it if you had to? I had to label it as anything. I would add, I would label it as corrective exercise. Corrective exercise. Without any other, I, I don't know how else to label it because everybody that uses it is going to use it differently. Okay. But it is a corrective exercise for whatever limitations. That's a BS statement. It's not for whatever limitation, but for most limitations. Foundation training provides a corrective measure that will allow your body to come closer to its natural strength and range of motion. So for some people, that means being able to sit comfortably. For some people, that means being able to maybe do some mixed martial arts really, really intensely, maybe ride a really long bike race or you know anything. You swing a baseball bat real hard. It's, everybody's use of corrective exercise is different, but it doesn't change that it is simply corrective exercise. Is this a daily practice? So would you recommend that, I guess, your students, is this something that you have them do every day as part of their normal movement routine or training routine? It's, it is a daily practice. Okay. Certainly the decompression breathing aspect of it. We do have to remind our, our central structure, the axial skeleton, to lean towards expansiveness instead of always contracting inward on itself. So decompression breathing is certainly an everyday practice, you know, five, 10 minutes a day. The better you get at it, the less you have to think about it, but it, it still remains daily. The workout portion of this is a little different. The workouts, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes long, they're, they're really intense. And for some people, you don't want to do something that intense every day. They need a little recovery time. For others, they can handle it every day, no problem. But the decompression portion of it has to be practiced daily if you really want to get the benefits out of this. You got to take that, that five, 10 minutes a day. Let's talk about the workout portion. I'm just curious about that. So what would be really the most basic fundamental workout session? So for example, with, with kettlebells, uh, a really okay. basic workout would be kettlebell swings and maybe a couple of get-ups. And that's like at the very fundamental level, mm -hmm. most people are going to get a lot of value out of that. So what would be something really fundamental with foundation training as far as a training session? So I would, I would separate that into two types of workouts, a ground session and a standing session. Okay. I, and I usually do separate them, at least for the first couple of weeks with okay. people. I want them to learn different positions. So in a ground session, we're, you're going to come in and let's, let's, you know, most people do come to me in pain. That's, that's definitely a common theme. First, I want to get you out of pain. I want to show you how quickly that happens and how powerful your body is without you even realizing it. And I'm going to lay you down on your back and you're going to do something called an anchored bridge. And that anchored bridge is going to begin with supine decompression, which is simply zipping up the center line of the body from the pubic symphysis to the big toes. You know, the, the legs move in towards each other just a little bit as the torso expands outward really forcefully into that decompression breathing pose. And you start to really feel the back of your body, the hamstrings, the calves, the lower back muscles, the back of the shoulders, the back of the neck, all starting to work to contract and support your spine. And then we lift into a very challenging, long angle bridge. You feel those muscles contract heavily, support your spine, and it's like a, an almost instant relief of disc-type pain for people if they do it well. So we're going to practice two or three of those. And by the third one, you you're, you're feel the workout starting. Your body is warmed up after a few of these. And probably flip over into the prone decompression series where we'll do the exact same thing, still challenging the backside of the body, still anchoring the pelvis and decompressing the torso. But this time on the front of the belly, teaching you how to support the weight of your head a little bit better, more neutral in the neck maintaining the proper neutral curves in the spine. So each of these exercises has a very deliberate point to it. And each of those points 
combines to make the workout, which is anchoring and decompression, repeated in probably three to four postures each workout. Got it. The po- so a standing, you know, if you want the same question for like standing poses, most people know the founder pose, which is one of the primary ones that people will learn. And that's a great one, but there's poses that lead up to that and come off of that that are much more powerful, much more direct at recruiting the glutes or recruiting the adductors or whatever we need to do to get the posterior chain in its right position. Usually three to four exercises to warm up, do the working sets of kettlebells, things, whatever the person wants to do, and then two to three exercises to warm down. And the the entire training program is 20 exercises. That's all. That's what we have so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the first book was 10 exercises five years ago. And <laughs> right. I, I, and I, I love that book. I love what we put out. But yeah. wow, it's, all, it's crazy what you can come up with in five years when I guess, for lack of a better term, you've got a decent foundation to build from. And those 20 exercises now represent the philosophy and theory of foundation training much better. Yes. And they fix the body or allow the body to you know, better fix itself yeah. more quickly. And really the, the question there, again, I'm a fundamental guy, so it's not about the quantity, more the quality. So I'm sure that these 20 exercises are extremely high quality. As you mentioned, they went from 10 to now 20. Is foundation training only for people that are in pain at some level? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. I thought first, I really thought 20 was a lot of exercises. I was like, wow, we got 20 exercises. Done. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was retired. Now, <laughs> it feels like a lot. But no, foundation training is, is certainly for people that are in pain most of the time, but it is for people with bodies that need to get stronger, get better, maybe prevent injuries. I cannot wait until somebody lets me do a properly situated university or medical school study on what happens with this work over a two to three to four to six month period. I say it in a lot of podcasts because you never know who's listening. Right, right. Big schools, big medical schools, I'm yours. If you want to <laughs> study this, prove me wrong, please. Nice. Because in that process, you're going to prove a lot of cool things right, and it's going to help a lot of people. And, I, you know, we got to get this stuff tested for back pain. So on another note, the program is really simple. And those 20 exercises, it's almost like there's two exercises. There's decompression, breathing, and there's anchoring. And then you apply those exercises to different body positions and practice them and practice them diligently, sometimes with movement like a steady hip hinge, sometimes with pelvic rotation to really stabilize the base, the, the, the bottom of the core of the pelvis, those muscles that insert directly to the base of it. So you can, you can sort of make those 20 exercises feel like about 60, depending on the layers that you add, depending on the, the angle of push or pull that you're applying. Kind of neat. Yeah. Now, have you seen this be successful in athletes type programs like weightlifters, powerlifters, strength athletes, and things like that. In addition yes. to a recreational exerciser. Yes. Yeah. My, my buddy, Jesse, he's actually a guy that I've known for 15 or 16 years now. He's a really decorated firefighter out in Orlando and he's a surfer and a weightlifter. And he's, you know, in his early thirties, just one of these really strong guys. And he posted a picture maybe six months ago or so, or four months ago of him doing a wide leg founder and then taking that exercise directly into a deadlift and doing a very powerful deadlift. And what our exercises do is they prime you for big movements. And without doing those big movements, you can really, you can really make efficient neural connections happen without the move. You can, you can get stronger in a deadlift without deadlifting. If you practice the really the muscle recruitment of hip hinging, you really start pulling all these muscles together, supporting the spine very effectively. And I've had this happen a number of times in which people get stronger taking two to three months off of weightlifting, using foundation training to really adopt better patterns, to really make them their own, to adapt into those patterns, which recruit more muscles, use a bigger, more braced, more powerful breathing process at the torso, which translates to more muscle recruitment below the torso. When you start applying these things and you start learning these exercises, you become stronger because your body is more efficient, not because you did more deadlifts. And deadlifts is, I just use that example because yeah. it's the best example. Sure. It's a strong powerhouse exercise. And most people think you only get stronger by, by lifting more weight. And while that is certainly a piece of the recipe, it is, it is one of the ingredients. The others are patterns. And foundation training is a pattern of recruitment. It is a biomechanics education that you continuously give your body so that it doesn't forget. So this system is really, I guess, if you had to define it, it's a neuromuscular training system. It's, it's, yeah, it's, yes, I, I suppose. Yeah, it, it seems to be. It seems to remind your body of patterns that are, that are there. They're present. 
we've kind of developed these detour motor pathways from sitting too long and using a few too many cell phones and, you know, maybe, maybe then adding a little bit of resistance on top of that inward rotated frame. But that can be undone quite nicely if you do the right undoing. If you, if you really look at what's happening at the rotations of the shoulders and the rotations of the pelvis and the method in which the body sort of sags into itself under the weight of gravity over time. And if you simply reverse the vector of what's happening and practice that over and over and over, it, it finds a healthier balance point in between. What kind of success are you seeing in the real world using the approach, maybe even beyond spine? So it sounds like people mm-hmm. that have back pain are having a lot of success. What about for mm-hmm. the shoulder and, and for knee and, and even foot problems and things like that? Does it help there as well? It seems to. That comes from, at this point, countless thousands of people saying so in different ways. I'm really surprised, actually, in some of the ways that people have used our work. The, the ones that made sense to me initially were things like uh, carpal tunnel syndrome, tennis elbow, shoulder injuries, especially rotator cuff injuries that simply didn't get better because the biomechanics of the shoulders are altered very significantly uh, when our shoulders roll forward. I mean, most people, if you look at them, it looks like they're almost wearing their shoulders like a jacket over them like a cloak right. and their head falls forward just so far. And it's like their noses are sniffing their way forward instead of their eyes and, and chests leading the way forward. And that's a very, that's not a very good human pattern or position. And the shoulders don't work well in those positions. Right. And thoracic outlet syndrome and carpal tunnel syndrome and median tunnel syndrome, lots of other ones, they are a product of those biomechanics. So it's easy to maintain the carpal tunnel if you create space for it through external rotation exercises, through, through strengthening the posterior capsule of the shoulders, so that it's strong enough to maintain the length of the pec minor by pulling against it. If not, the pec minor wins every time. It's adaptively shortened. Your physical therapy audience will love the idea of what the pec minor does. It, it adaptively shortens under the weight of the shoulders, but it's not pulling the shoulders forward. It's just not being pulled hard enough by the back of the shoulder and the back and the lats. So it's easy to see the shoulder injuries and the upper extremity injuries going away. And we see that a lot. What really surprised me and continues to surprise me is plantar fasciitis, uh, <laughs> shin splints, heel spurs, the injury. I mean, I can't get rid of a heel spur. Yeah, right. But right. if you change the position that your foot lands every time it lands and you grab and work with the foot and stabilize the ankle and stabilize the whole lower leg with those anchoring muscles that pull upward towards the pubic symphysis. You start to relieve a lot of the pressure at the base of the foot. You start to allow the plantar fascia to simply go with foot movement instead of trying to overstretch constantly to compensate for a lack of hip and a lack of knee and a lack of ankle movement. When the hip twists and turns, usually towards external rotation from sitting so often in most people, it changes the muscular makeup of everything below it. It changes the vector of pull of every muscle below it. It feels like your hamstrings are tight. It feels like your calves are tight. But what's happening is every time you go to bend forward or hinge your hips, you squeeze your butt muscles and you block yourself from hinging. And you use your lateral bands, your lateral hamstrings. And it feels like tight hamstrings, but it's just malposition, just rotations and weaknesses that are like what we're used to. And uh, it's crazy to see what it does for plantar fasciitis, for ankle pain, for knee pain, for lateral knee pain, medial knee pain, for acetabular impingement type syndromes where your tensor fascia just gets stuck every time you try to flex your knee properly or flex your hip properly. Yeah, that's, that's it's uh, wild. That is wild. But it does work over yeah. and over. And not always, but very often. I mean, it makes sense because if you're correcting the central system, the spine, okay, and the hips, which you know, that would have the influence on the other peripheral joints. And so by correcting the, the, the problem, potentially it would clear or fix the other, the other associated problems. Like, mm-hmm. you, like you mentioned, not, not always, but sometimes. So that's, that's great. I want to go back to what you said in the beginning about learning the hip hinge and kind of learning about the hip hinge through all these years. Do you think you've ha- you have it figured out now? Or no. is that still- <laughs> it keeps confusing me. I think, I, I think I'm getting more confused. <laughs> really? Okay. But it feels better. I, okay. I feel better. Okay. I, you know, that, so that's going for me at this point. What's the challenge but, there with, with a hip hinge? That I refuse to believe that the body is actually designed to be asymmetrical instead of symmetrical. A good friend of mine, a guy that I, I feel really lucky to know and always have and always as well, is this guy, Dr. Tim Brown, 
from Orange County, Newport Beach, California. He invented a company called IntelliSkin. He's just a really intelligent guy, really amazing doctor. And, and he gave me that quote first. He said, the body's designed for asymmetry. It's designed to respond to asymmetry, not to remain symmetrical. Right. And when you look at a hip hinge, it's a, it's a very symmetrical movement. And you're, most people learn it. I mean, look at the FMS protocol, which is brilliant. They teach people how to hip hinge, and it's very symmetrical. And they really look to assess the sides evenly. But that's just not how the body works, I've realized. Because I try to do it symmetrically, too. I, my founder is symmetrical. My <laughs> windmill is a symmetrical movement of the hips to one side, then to the other. And it's like, you you, it's, you know, there's there's symmetry in everything. But what you realize is that the hip hinge is designed to be completely asymmetrical. And the external rotators of one hip are meant to respond to the internal rotators on that side, but also to the external and internal rotation of the other hip. And there's this 360 degree movement, I guess not quite, but there's this circumferential movement and circumductive movement that is reacting to every force from your big toe to your small toe, to your heel, up the ankle, up the knee, into the groin, into the pubic symphysis, and also under the weight of the torso. You've got a couple little kinks in the chain of your spine. It completely alters the biomechanics underneath that and above it. And a hip hinge is constantly changing. It's this, a hip hinge is the body's ability to deal with that. So what you got to train is asymmetry. You have to train the pulling muscles that pull toward the pubic symphysis to pull. You got to train the lateral muscles, the IT band, to stay as long as they can so that when they need to be recruited, they're recruited efficiently, powerfully support the whole hip and spine. It appears that of all things, your head position and your toe position, foot position, make the most impact on the hip hinge, which is really surprising to me. And it's, it's, I don't know, I, I never thought I would enjoy learning about anything like this. But it's such a practical application to everything in our existence, the ability to move well from our center of gravity, which is the more or less the pubic synthesis. Uh, at least it should be somewhat close to the pubic synthesis, and I don't think in most people it is. But our center of gravity should be practiced often, 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 often. Different versions of squat to hinging and all of that, but not only under the weight of resistance. Like Our body is so much resistant. Right. The hip hinge right. is this wild series of pulleys in action, resisting and supporting one another. Yeah. And uh, people think they got to add about a lot of weight to that for some reason, and I, I guess some do, but you really don't. You just got to practice it. One of my questions was to ask you, what is the most important factor or requirement for good movement or moving well? It sounds like what you're saying is that it's the hip hinge. It's the hip hinge is two parts though, because the hip okay. hinge requires uh, what I call the re-education of the axial skeleton towards yes. expansion. Okay. The axial skeleton is the spine and the rib cage in the skull. You can't really expand your skull, but right. everything else you can really open up the muscles around, right. even in the neck. You know, you can even, you can even create an expansive platysma by lengthening the muscles that really support and move the neck. So a good healthy hip hinge is without question the, the fundamental movement of powerful, athletic, graceful, coordinated humans. But it requires that the axial skeleton, in particular the rib cage, can remain outwardly expansive so that the lungs are breathed into more than the belly is so that when we reach forward, we are not caving our rib cage down towards our pelvis, but instead pulling our pelvis away from our rib cage as it lifts and goes forward. It's called pandiculation and it's just a hip hinge, how animals move. They pull the center of gravity away from the limbs and find counterbalance. The more our torso can't stay expanded, right? especially that, you know, under the clavicle, under the shoulders, when the shoulders begin to really encroach upon the front of the rib cage, instead of outwardly and upwardly pulling away from it, as they should, we lose our ability to hip hinge well, and our hip hinge becomes detrimental to us. It starts to be create a lot of abrasive force at our lower spine and at our SI joints and at our sciatic nerve. So, you know, <laughs> that hip hinge is absolutely the most fundamental movement, but man, you got to learn to do it well. You got to learn to decompress your torso. You got to learn how the human body is is supported in a hip hinge and then practice it. Right. That was a lesson that took me a long time (laughs) to learn. And I got a lot of pain uh, on record as a result of learning that. We could probably make an entire episode about the hip hinge, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, anything. It's like, (laughs) you ever want to be a biomechanics dork? Just go find all the different people that have explained the basic movement of the body from 
you know, uh, guys like Thomas Hanna of Somatics to Moshe Feldenkrais to Joseph Pilates to uh, people out of the Diploma Institute in Paris to guys like Kelly Sturette. That, you know, it's so many walks of life, so many different models of health have been created to support a healthy hip hinge. I mean, it's the basis of, of posture. You mentioned some names there, and that was one of my questions as well. I'm just curious, who who are maybe the top three or four people that have had an influence maybe on your work? Are, are there a handful or does it go very, uh, very broad? It's an interesting question. <laughs> the people that have influenced my work are not in my field. They're not in the chiropractic field or in the, uh, with a couple exceptions. There's the, you know, okay. Dr. Tim Brown absolutely influences me. Yeah. Uh, my uncle, Glenn Goodman, who's a very talented chiropractor out on the East Coast, really influences me from, he was, he was probably the reason I became a chiropractor. Back pain stuff, the people that influenced me were like Andrew Weil. I started reading Andrew Wilde's books, starting with Spontaneous Healing and a few others when I was like a teenager. And what it showed me was that you can be very different than your field and still be respected by your field. He's a Harvard MD who talks exclusively about natural medicine, alternative medicine, and he's, right. he's wonderfully accepted. And the people that influenced me kind of were like, they got really angry with what existed in their field. They got almost hurt by it. And then they came up with something that made sense to them and learned to love their field uh, by learning how to make it work for them better. And guys like Andrew Weil, uh, Andrew Weil is the one that comes to mind heavily. A guy, uh, an author named Dan Millman is another one that I really think is just a brilliant person for anybody. Cause you don't want to be influenced by the people in your field. They've already come <laughs> up with a lot of really amazing stuff. Right. You, right. you want to take what you feel, cause that's what an education does. An education gives you the same platform. Those existing thinkers thought from sure. Now, give your unique flavor to that education. Yes. And my inspiration for this stuff comes from, uh, from really frustrated people that decided to go their own way with things and, and really found a way to live a good life and help a lot of people as a result. Now, your new book is coming out uh, very soon, True to Form. So, and you have uh, a prior book that you talked a little bit about. So tell us about the new book, uh, what, what you hope to accomplish with the new book. Okay. True to Form comes out on May 17th. I'm actually going to have the chance to see the first copy tomorrow, uh, which I'm really, I, I haven't seen it yet. Very excited. I, I worked on this book for four years very steadily. Wow. Really, like it was the hardest effort I've ever done. Um, yeah. It, it, you know, writing a book is incredibly hard. Yes. It's a good thing to do. It's a good, it's a good effort. But this book, this is my attempt to bring the reason everybody on this podcast listens is because we all have a common interest in movement or biomechanics. We've all educated ourselves in that way, and we're still seeking information in some way, shape, or form. Most of the listeners, I would imagine, strength training, whatever it is, personal training. But there's this like millions and millions and millions of people that could care less about the health culture or about movement or about chiropractic world or about the medical world or about the strength training world, but they still have a lot of pain. Right. They're still in pain every day. And in fact, those are the people that are, in a sense, I hope this doesn't piss anybody off, but heavily being taken advantage of by a healthcare system that does not understand most of their injuries very well right. uh, and reacts to those injuries with very aggressive behavior from numbing symptoms with extremely addictive narcotics yes. to cutting into a, an otherwise healthy human body to create rigidity where, in fact, space and support are needed as opposed to rigidity. And True to form is my effort to teach 15 of the 20 exercises, the 15 that are most accessible to everybody in as simple a way as possible, give a little bit of the theory behind them, give some really wonderful support from leading thinkers throughout the world that have adopted this work as well. And from there, just give really simple solutions to most of the common ailments that people are feeling. I do it in a way that is like, I, we wrote a book for the people that aren't interested in the health field. And, and we hope that this is a way to spark their interest into how easy it is to feel well. I had a lot of help on this one. I had a wonderful uh, writer that helped me along the whole way. And we tell a story. I mean, this whole thing, there's a character, there's an avatar in the book named Hallie. And Hallie goes through her day in ways that hurt her. And then she goes through her day in ways that help her. And there's a little... <laughs> I'm a cheesy guy, I'm realizing as I get a little old. There's a little yeah. poem in the book that takes you through the activities of daily living as they can be applied, or I'm, I'm sorry, as foundation training can be applied to them and how easy it is to use a hip hinge when you're 
gardening or when you're picking up a kid or when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, how easy it is to decompress your spine for 30 seconds as you're getting up out of bed and right before you go to bed and how relaxing that can be. We're trying to take a very complicated theory and I think we did a really good job of breaking it down to, to most people. Not everybody, but to most people. So I've um, got a chance to get a little bit into the book so far, as we talked about prior to the interview. Reading so many books right now, it's been a little overwhelming, but the book looks fantastic. And a couple of things that uh, I wanted to ask you about were the the concept of the 21st century body. And I mm-hmm. wonder if you talk a little bit about what that is. Uh, I will. Uh, and, and again, with, with the simple disclaimer that this is just a theoretical consideration, really. I just, I, this is what I think is going on. Yeah. And, I, and I have good company in believing this. A couple hundred years ago, most industries that are successful and at the heart of culture today didn't exist. And as a result, people moved very differently and had very different demands on them. A lot of the conveniences that we have today, from the luxurious car seats we sit in, to the computers that fit in our hand that dictate so much of our lives, myself included. I'm just as guilty of that as anybody. Each of these little things, each of these these conveniences is another set of demands that we put on our body every day if we use them frequently. And those demands are very different than they used to be. And that's what the body really does is it's just kind of a, you know, a stimulus response type organism. What we ask our bodies to do most often is what our body will get very good at doing. And there are skeletal and structural and muscular alterations that occur over that course. If your body is told that your head is meant to be three inches further in front of your chest than it really started out being, your body's going to get good at holding that weight right. at the front of your body. And your, your, your traps are going to get kind of tight and your abs are going to stay kind of tight and your shoulders are going to roll forward a little bit and you're going to, you're going to find that your hips kind of have to find a little bit of a different balance. Each of those little adaptations gets better and better and better and better over time, or at least your body gets better and better at doing it. Oftentimes we're not paying attention to it. I call it complacent adaptation. You're adapting regardless. Uh, and this has nothing to do with like theories on evolution or anything like that. This is just what the human body does. I mean, think of learning an instrument as a perfect example. Your body can adapt to whatever demands you put on it. Usually if you're not paying attention to it, you're probably adapting in a way that's hurting you without realizing it. You're probably slowly and steadily suffocating the joints of your body under the weight of themselves and the tissue on top of them, especially if you're sitting on your butt most of the day. Like that's not what your glutes are for. That's not what your SI joints are. I was going to say probably the best example of this type of negative adaptation is sitting, right? I mean, if you're sitting for eight hours a day, that's Yeah, you're putting (laughs) the hip flexors and the glutes and the adductors and the, the circumference of the hip joint has so many cool angles in it. And if you just put the human body into an all fours position and you make that position powerful, you can see it. You can really see how the human body can be an incredibly powerful sort of central tensioning towards the core, towards the the, the pubic synthesis of the body organism. Then you take that position and you rotate it 90 degrees to where the head is vertical and you're still basically in that powerful seated position that hip flexion, that bear crawl position, but then you put a chair under you and it just, it's like you realize like, whoa, 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 this isn't powerful anymore. This is, <laughs> this is just compression everywhere. This is my spine not knowing what to do. This is my hips really not knowing what to do because they're, they're stopped from extending. Right. They're stuck in flexion. They can't push back into extension. Your hip flexors are like, I guess this is where I live now. <laughs> I guess this is where I'm supposed to be. Your pecs, the same thing. Your abs, the same thing changes everything from the base of your skull to the balls of your feet, man. It's, it really does. And it's just, it's not that sitting is the new smoking. Smoking affects everything in your body very differently. Sitting can be done well. Sitting can be done extremely well if you're strong enough, right, yeah, right. especially if you're able to take the occasional break from it. Smoking can't be done all that well. I actually <laughs> right. don't like that analogy very yeah. much. I think that, that that minimizes, A, sitting is not addictive. It's just easy. There's no chemical addiction to sitting. If anything, it's a physical addiction that can be broken through strength and practice. But I don't like that analogy. It's not an accurate analogy. Sitting is sitting. Smoking is smoking. One of them is a very voluntary endeavor that is like a a cancer-causing toxic process. The other one is a position that needs to be gotten out of more often. That's all. Sure. All right. So I was really happy to see that you talked a lot about, and you've already talked about this as well. I mean, it really goes back to I, I think this goes back to your approach with the, the decompression and the anchoring. And what I'm going to ask you about is, is breathing. And I, I'm really happy to see that. I think that breathing is getting more attention these days from 
coaches, trainers, uh, healthcare providers, we're, we're understanding more about the importance of proper breathing. So my question was, is there a daily habit or a breathing ritual that you could share here on the show that could help people that could, they could walk away from this and, and maybe use and think about in their day to day? So I will do my best to explain it here, but I want you all to know that my new book is literally written as with this topic at the center of it. Okay. My process, something we have trademarked, something we have been working very, very tirelessly for the past few years to design and then make practical is called decompression breathing. And it's very simple. You have to first at least humor me in saying, yes, my lungs are in my rib cage. They are not in my belly. They are these expansive, convoluted series of sacs that can fill to quite a volume, but they have to push the rib cage out of the way for a while in most people. The ribs are surrounded by muscles that pull them open. The serratus anterior, the serratus posterior, they're incredible, but they also have a lot of lifting muscles. They've also got the diaphragm in the center, which if it's working well, is probably one of the most metabolically stimulating muscles in the body because if it's working well, it means that your entire torso is breathing. It means that your rib cage is being pulled away from its center on all sides with every inhalation, which allows the diaphragm to contract properly, to flatten out and pressurize the torso, protecting the viscera, protecting the heart and lungs. If that rib cage is not expanding front, side, back, center, if it's not outwardly expansive, being pulled upon by those serratus muscles, the diaphragm has a very hard time changing its position. And if anything, The increased gas volume and gas pressure from breathing air into your belly creates an upward invagination of the diaphragm towards the lungs and the heart. And that's not a good thing. That diaphragm is supposed to move down, supporting the body in an upward expansive position. It's supposed to pressurize the belly, allowing a very powerful transverse abdominal contraction, a very powerful oblique contraction, a very powerful multifidi contraction. When you're breathing into your belly, those things are not happening. Great for parasympathetic recruitment. I love going to a yoga class and belly breathing for an hour and getting some relaxation and doing the spiritual side of things. But this is corrective exercise. If you want your rib cage and your lungs to work well, you have to teach your rib cage and your lungs to work well. You have to position the shoulders properly. You have to use the muscles that surround the entire cage to move outward towards expansion instead of inward towards compression. And you have to teach your lungs to breathe. You have to teach your sternocleidomastoid muscle from the base of your skull to the clavicles and the sternum that it pulls the chest upwards ever so slightly with every inhalation. If the chest is anchored down, if it's like locked down in a rigid place with the shoulders rolling forward, that same contraction of the sternocleidomastoid muscle lifts the eyes and drops the back of the head, lifting the chin, going further into that crummy anterior head carriage position. Same muscle contraction, different position. Position is everything, and decompression breathing is a re-education for the axial skeleton so that it can understand where to breathe from, where those muscles contract from. Once you learn that, once that corrective process is in place, I don't care how you breathe. You can do anything, (laughs) but you have to take the corrective measures to make sure that your rib cage knows what to do and your diaphragm knows what to do. So is it fair to say that the reader, by by reading this book – they will have a thorough understanding of why breathing is important and how to do it correctly. They better. <laughs> <laughs> they better or, yeah. you know, I, this is a good opportunity, this book, because I'm going to find out whether I'm crazy or not. Like, I'm going to find out whether I'm just totally out of my mind and like hooked on my own stuff. You know, decompression breathing is the greatest thing. Foundation training is the greatest thing. Or if people agree. You know, the the first book did a good job of really building an audience and and a group of people that believe in this work. And now I get the chance to say, I I just first and foremost, I did my best. I promise everybody that. But it's a good chance. It's a really cool experiment to see if the evolution was in a positive or a negative direction of this work. I thoroughly believe, and I have an entire certification course based on it, that this new book and the breathing that we teach in it is so easy to learn and so applicable and practical to your everyday life. And I invite everybody to prove me wrong. I really do. (laughs) I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm not saying I'm wrong either. (laughs) Well, I think we all like easy to learn and practical. uh, Yeah. That's what I'm trying for here. Yep. So you mentioned, 
Think yeah. of how many people are already teaching people to get stronger and tougher and bigger and everything. That's not what I want. Well, that's not my market. I want to teach people to just feel better and yeah. to get more out of all the other stuff they're doing. Well, you know, that leads me to a question I did want to ask you as well, though. But how important is strength in your approach? Very. I think that resistance training helps people get through life and helps them overcome physical and mental barriers uh, throughout their lifetime. And nice. I think that the continued pursuit of fitness is in the top three human endeavors, if you have everything required, you know, if you've got a working body, I think that it is your right and privilege to continue using it and making it better for as long as possible. I get a little bit concerned when people kind of only do intense training. They think that training needs to be done at a high level from the get-go, right. that they have to be recovering from their training in order for it to be effective. I think that's like demographic specific. If you're a power lifter, then yeah, you got to push your boundaries. You got to recover from that. If you're a competitive bodybuilder and you're looking for hypertrophy as, as your main goal and then cutting as, a, as you know, sort of like your main effort, then you have to have a very specific style of training to sculpt your body. Right. For everybody else, why are you doing that? What are you, what are you doing that <laughs> right. for? Right. Not, you know, yeah. If you look in the mirror and you look big, it's okay, but it, it's usually very limiting to the rest of your physicality. Yeah. I learned that surfing. For the first five or six years that I have been surfing, I've been surfing for 10 or 11 years now. The first five or six years, I was constantly trying to get my, short, my shoulders, my chest, and my arms and my back smaller. I couldn't paddle very well. I was a very strong weightlifting type athlete all through high school and college. And it broke me down and it made it so hard to be athletic. It was crazy. So I don't know. I mean, for a lot of people, their efforts in training are debilitating them. Right, right. They're limiting them inadvertently, accidentally. It's like a, it's not a wasted effort, but it's, it's perhaps uh, an inaccurate effort. Sure. So if all you're doing is going to CrossFit and you don't have a CrossFit coach that's teaching you how to do exercises extremely well and giving you recovery and giving you, you know, other tools than just the high intensity, um, high repetitive work, high repetition work. You should go to a yoga class and a Pilates class as well. You should go to a foundation training class. You should go learn. Right some really simple meditation techniques. You know, we got this whole body of ours and this whole brain of ours that, that really need to learn to get through life as well as possible. And working out as we most often consider it in a gym is one of those ingredients. It's one of those methods. Sure. Well, I think we, we definitely agree that, uh, you know, I mean, my own approach is to be a better mover and, you know, make sure that I, I'm moving well. I have mobility, stability, you know, motor control. I'm doing everything the right way and build strength on top of that. And mm -hmm. really that's kind of the philosophy that I take in, in, in teaching people, you know, kettlebells or barbells or whatever. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think, I think we're saying the same thing there. I mean, it really does come down to owning your movement and, uh, really optimizing performance and, and keeping out of pain. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a big, one. the guy that I first, the guy that I put the first book out with and really, really, I created the exercises. I created the foundation training theory and philosophy, but I had a, a really amazing partner for a few years. We wrote the first book, this guy, Peter Park, who's just a world-class uh, trainer and strength coach, one of the best there is. And what I watch him do is a really amazing recipe. And it sounds very similar to what you do, which is make sure that people understand a that this this movement stuff this foundation training stuff this basic hip hinging patterns these basic postural and breathing patterns they're fundamental to your deadlift they're fundamental to your ability to play basketball they're fundamental to your ability to run on that treadmill as fast as i want you to so you got to learn these things and then we're going to really build intensity on top of that and uh I think that's more or less what you're saying. There's a lot of ways to do it, but you got to have that movement pattern in place first. Definitely. Definitely. So tell us about uh, the website. People can find you at foundationtraining.com. You have a lot going on there. <laughs> Give us an overview of the website for anybody that, that hasn't been there and, and check that out. And in full honesty, I it was just recently that, that I discovered your work and, and went to your website. So give us an overview. First, the website's changing. <laughs> it's changing quickly, but it will still be foundationtraining.com. That's not changing. Uh, we are coming out with a brand new flagship program that we'll be releasing pretty much the same time as the book, a week before, a week after, something like that. Okay. So our website will have a streaming video component now that you can buy a membership to. And we're going to be, it's a really good program what we're coming up with. So in the next month or so, the website will be changing a little bit, but foundationtraining.com, we've got free videos and we always will have free videos on there. Free education is a very big part of my business. It's how I started and it's how I will finish. Got to make a business in between, but I will always have free videos that will help you as well as the rest of the work that I teach you will. 
I just always ask that if it works for you, you know, try to go a little deeper with me. Buy buy a DVD or buy a book or buy the the video platform thing we're doing. What else is on there? There's find a trainer stuff. We got we have like some of the best certified personal trainers. I'm not not certified. I said that wrong. Certified foundation training instructors. Right. All over the world. We have in over 20 countries nearly 600 instructors. Now we've been doing certifications for three years, and about half the instructors are doctors. The other half are all walks of life from personal training, strength coaches to yoga instructors. We've even got a lot of firefighters and dog groomers and police officers and coaches and professional athletes that have, that have become instructors. Wow. So that's an easy wow. way to find an instructor near you. If you're wanting to learn this, you know, the book is good. The videos are good. An instructor's better always. Right. And they've all been personally taught by me and, and my staff that is ridiculous in their ability to teach. I've got some instructors that surpassed me like a year and a half ago and <laughs> how well they can articulate this information. That's what awesome. else is on the website? A lot of free videos. We have some adorable team pictures. You can go check those out. <laughs> we have like the big wobbly head team pictures. I'm not, I'm not very good at the whole self-promoting the website right, thing. Right. But yeah. go there and check it out. You okay. very well might get better. Here's a question I do like to ask, though, when we talk about going to a website. Where should people start? Is there one place in particular that uh, people should start when they go to foundationtraining.com? I think if you're just wanting to get a feel for it, just go to the video page and explore a little bit. If you just want to try one exercise, if you're like, I... Right. I'm going to make my decision based on the next minute of my life. <laughs> and I want you to go to, I want you to go to my 30 day founder video where you're going, you're going to have to hold a founder for roughly one minute. And if that's your decision maker, I hope, I hope it makes you try to learn the other videos, try to get better at that founder right. because the process of foundation training is not doing the exercise once it's getting better and better and better at doing the exercises. So the book comes out very soon. Where should people go to get the book? I, I know it's available on Amazon and uh, We're not on our website yet. It'll okay. be there. Uh, we'll have it on our website in a week or two. Okay. But yeah, go to Amazon. You know, if you want to pre-order it, that's so cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> really? I mean, yeah. you know, it, it not because pre-orders are like, that, you're trusting me. You're like, all right, right. I think this book's going to be pretty good. Right. If you wait till it's out, I think a few of your friends are going to tell you that it's a solid book and that they were able to get some some really valuable advice out of it. But yeah, just go to like, go to Amazon if you want to pre-order it. I think it's probably like 20 bucks or something like that. It's a hardcover. I don't know if you know the guy, but the actor who plays Thor and a number of other things, Chris Hemsworth wrote a forward for me on this book and very thoughtful forward and really expresses how much this work has, has improved his life. And I'm hoping that people will at least look at the book because his name is on it. That'd nice. be great. Nice. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> you got a, super, got a forward from a superhero because yeah. Even though it's easy work, it makes you feel extremely strong. Excellent. Well, I can vouch for the book in the uh, the early reading that I've done so far. It looks really, really good, and I'm excited to get more into it after this interview. So any other places that people can go to find you, connect with you online before my final question and we wrap up? I think for simplicity and ease, let's use foundation training for now. We have our yeah. Facebook page. You know, We've got a foundation training Facebook page and like okay. social media stuff. But if you want education... You know, if you, were, if you want to do this right, go use my free videos. I put good free videos out there for a reason. I have a TED Talk out there too. And if you want to... Nice. I, it, yeah. it, it gives you a little bit of like an understanding of why this is important. Okay. Uh, theory behind it. We and will... We teach, uh, I teach that too. Yeah. Teach we'll, an exercise there. We'll try to get the link, the link to that and attach that okay. in the show notes for this, uh, for this interview. So make sure to check the show sure. notes. And I'll be interested to, to see that myself. I love the TED Talks. Yeah, good. I really, I want people using my free information. That's yeah. how, that's how I started everything. I think every one of you has the right to get better without paying anybody a dollar. Yeah. And I've been very fortunate that I've been able to make a career off educating like that, but yep. please use the free stuff. And, and if it doesn't work the first time, try it a second time. If it doesn't work the second time, I might be willing to accept that it won't work for you, <laughs> but only if, right. if, but not like, go, go try a trainer, talk to me, send me an email, send my business an email, like let us coach you through it. If you're seriously right. in pain, it is so rare yeah. that we cannot get a person out of pain. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. And it's, I think the, the important thing to know there is, and this kind of goes with training too, you know, give it a chance, you know, make sure that you're doing things correctly, give it a chance, give it time. And you can say that about anything. So I think some I mean, people, sometimes they'll, they'll try something, you know, oh, that doesn't work for me. You know, they're quick to move on. So I, I like what you I just have, said about that. I've had a really nice career working with some really special people. And, and the most special cases I have to this point are not famous athletes. They're people that, that just are normal everyday people that had some really interesting problems that got better. But I have worked with a lot of the best athletes in the world and they still do the work. They still keep going. It's because it's so simple. 
it's easy to practice and it's, it's good enough for their bodies. I really believe that it's good enough for most people's bodies. If you just put a little time in. Nice. Well, my final question is, uh, what's the one thing that people can take away from our interview session today? Is there something that they can take action with one big thing? Go to the website, learn a founder. <laughs> Seriously. All right. For a lot of people that I've met that I would not never have met otherwise had I not come up with these exercises, I assure you there's nothing else interesting about me. But I would have <laughs> never met these people. And the reason I met them is because they learned this one exercise. They learned a founder and it changed their perception of what they were capable of. They changed what their injury meant to them. It changed what their performance was based on. They realized that so much of your physical sensation is a practice. And if it's a painful sensation, you can likely improve it. If it's a weakness sensation, you can likely improve it. Just just go try foundation training. Try the free stuff. That's it. Sounds good to me. Foundationtraining.com. This has been fantastic. So glad you came on the show. Thanks so much, Dr. Eric Goodman. Guys, thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to take action and apply something you learned from the show. Go to foundationtraining.com and we will see you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast. Take care. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast this week. And if you'd like to become part of the Ardella Training community, be sure to go to ardellatraining.com forward slash join to get your free training mistakes guide, which contains 12 critical training mistakes I made through the years. I know this 36 page guide will save you time and frustration and accelerate your training results. And it's free. You'll get that and so much more at ardellatraining.com forward slash join. Hope to see you there.